hello and welcome to Saving Animals with Blank Park Zoo. I'm Ryan Bickle. On today's show, we have Rich Burgle, the Director of Conservation, Education, and Science at the North Carolina Zoo. And of course, joining us is Jesse Lowry, our Director of Research and Conservation here at Blank Park Zoo. Jesse, why don't you get our show started today? Thanks so much, Ryan, and welcome, Rich, to the show. We're so excited to have you with us today. And, to be here. And, yeah, it's really great to talk to you today. Um, as Ryan said, I'm Jesse Lowry. I'm the Director of Conservation and Research, and I always like to start off the show by kind of just laying the foundation of um, what it is to be a modern zoo, an AZA-accredited zoo, and how we can help save animals in the wild. Um, the mission of Blank Park Zoo is to inspire an appreciation of the natural world through conservation, education, research, and recreation. Um, but what I see the zoo is as a window to the wild, a place where we can invite the community and families and kids and people of all ages to get a glimpse of the beauty that nature has to offer. Come into the gates of our zoo and be inspired by uh, the, you know, the amazing agility of snow leopards and sea lions and rhinos um, and giraffe and lion and all of those amazing creatures um, that we have all come to love and, and uh, want to protect in the wild. Um, but just by visiting Blank Park Zoo, um, a portion of every single dollar that we make at the zoo goes to save animals in the wild. So just by visiting Blank Park Zoo, you can help to save them as well. And Blank Park Zoo um, helps to save animals in the wild by, by many different ways. We work to be as sustainable as we possibly can in our everyday business operations. We know that sustainability and especially um, you know, consumerism has a direct effect on wildlife, both locally and regionally and nationally and internationally. Um, and we always say if you want to get the most bang for your buck, you know, uh, working locally is a great way to help save wildlife and wild places. Our hallmark project here at Blank Park Zoo is Plant Grow Fly, our pollinator conservation project where we encourage people to plant butterfly gardens in their yard to help give these hardworking insects the resources that they need to thrive. Um, but one of the most important things that we can do as a zoo is to support those heroes that are out on the front lines in the range countries of the animals um, that we have here at the zoo, and some that we don't. Uh, we support the Chimpanzee Sanctuary and Wildlife Conservation Trust in Uganda, uh, the Giraffe Conservation Foundation in Namibia, and um, International Snow Leopard Trust, International Rhino Foundation, and um, we support them through in-kind support as well as uh, financial grants to help them do their work. And, um, you know, we're a small zoo, but we try to make sure that we have as big of, of an impact as we possibly can and by engaging the local community. And um, so we're just really excited, Rich, to have you here today because with all of the impact that Blank Park Zoo can have as a very small zoo in Iowa, it is amazing to look through uh, the programs that you guys work on at North Carolina. And I'm so excited uh, to learn more about those programs, Rich. So first of all, why don't you just tell us a little bit about um, about North Carolina Zoo and your role there. Sure. Yeah. Well, so the North Carolina Zoo, I mean, I guess everybody thinks of their zoo as being a little bit unique, and they all are. Um, one of the things that makes the North Carolina Zoo unique is its size. So we're located in a rural part of North Carolina, um, and one advantage of that is that we have a lot of land. Uh, the zoo, or the property owned by the zoo at present, is about 2,600 acres. Um, so it's a it's a significant size. The developed area of the zoo is about 500 acres. And, for example, our rhino and African antelope exhibit is about 50 acres, so bigger than the entire Philadelphia Zoo. 
Um, and so that gives us a great opportunity to, um, you know, number one, provide our animals with a lot of space, but also to provide people a sort of different experience of visiting a zoo, one where they're seeing animals in, in very large, open, naturalistic habitats, um, you know, which, which helps to, um, I think, encourage people to think about animals, uh, not just in the zoo, but, but in the wild as well, since they're being presented in a way that's, that's very similar to to the habitat that they would live in in the wild. Um, and, and like I said, uh, 500 of our acres is developed as, as the zoo, but the remaining area is all maintained for conservation. So one of our areas of focus with the, the North Carolina Zoo's conservation work is North America and particularly North Carolina. Uh, and so one of the things we do is we manage that you know, approximately 2,000 acres of land in central North Carolina for conservation education um, and, then, and then also recreation. So uh, we're helping to maintain really important uh, wildlife habitat in central North Carolina and then also to restore some really interesting biological communities like, uh, like, like, the, like a stand of longleaf pine that the, that the zoo manages. That sounds um, amazing. I actually visited your zoo several, well, let's see, not several years ago, probably almost 13 or 14 years ago. It was quite a long time ago. And it was just an amazing day where, you know, you get to walk through the paths and you'll see this amazing expanse of an exhibit and everything just was so beautiful. And you take another little walk with your family and your friends and have time to really take in all of the natural, you know, foliage that's around um, and then come around a corner. And here's this n- another beautiful expanse of exhibit. It was it was unlike any other zoo that I've ever been to. Yeah, it's definitely a, a very different experience. I mean, it's it, there's and there's always advantages and disadvantages mm-hmm. to everything, right? So we have five miles of walking trails, which at the zoo, which which is great because you know it's a really it's a day long experience. But um, if you've ever uh, you know dra- dragged your three year old <laughs> on a five mile hike in ninety degree heat in the middle of you know the the, the hot and humid North Carolina summer, um, sometimes it's not a it's not always exactly the experience. People aren't ready for the experience, I guess. You know, people think, oh, we're going to the zoo, and it'll be, you know, an hour or two, and we'll walk around, and it'll be indoors most of the time. And, mm-hmm. and that's definitely not the experience at, at our zoo. You know, it's, as you said, it's definitely an active outdoor experience. I mean, we even have um, in, in that same exhibit that I mentioned already, in our rhino exhibit, um, our visitors can actually go out into the exhibit on a truck and drive around in the exhibit on the truck, which is probably the closest that a lot of of our visitors will ever get to actually going on like a like an African safari. So wow. um, yeah, it's a very different different way to to experience a zoo, different way to see to see animals than than you know perhaps your standard zoo experience. That's wonderful. So how long have you been there, and what is your role there now? So I've been at the zoo for 12 years, and I currently direct um, all the zoo's conservation education and science initiatives. So uh, all the educational material and programs that you would see out in the zoo during your visit, um, any offsite programs that you would that, that you would have one of our educators come to you uh, and deliver um, all the research that's done at the zoo. Um, so primarily focused on animal behavior and, and animal welfare, so helping to understand how we can give our animals the best possible lives uh, while they're in our care. And then, uh, you know, as is the focus of, uh, of your work, Jesse, the, also the, the zoo's conservation work, which has two, mi- two primary areas of focus. One, um, the wildlife of North Carolina and wild places in North Carolina, and then also um, 
working mostly in Africa, um, although there are a couple other places around the world where we work. Uh, again, focused mostly on species that, are, that we have here at the zoo. So let's start and tell us, uh, kind of take us through some of the programs that are focused on native wildlife to North Carolina. Sure, yeah. Um, so in North Carolina, we have a very strong focus on both the land, man- land management and plant conservation work that I mentioned already, um, which is a little bit unique for a zoo. Uh, you know, not a lot of zoos focus on plant conservation, but we have a very strong horticulture program here, which has led to the develop of a, development of a strong um, plant conservation program. Mm-hmm. So we work with things like critically endangered sunflowers, um, the longleaf pines that I mentioned, and then kind of unique um, plant communities here in North Carolina. But then we also have a, 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 do a lot of work on amphibians in North Carolina. North Carolina has one of the highest diversities of amphibian species in, in all of North America. Um, you know, everything from um, smaller amphibians like the like dusky gopher frog to North America's largest amphibian, the, the hellbender, which is this really large, you know, um, kind of otter-sized amphibian that lives in, uh, in, in the mountain streams of North Carolina, among other places. Um, so, yeah, so those are probably like two main areas of focus. Uh, the amphibian work has really um, taken off in recent years under the direction of our curator of uh, reptiles and amphibians, Dustin Smith. And, and Dustin and his team do a lot with um, particularly head-starting of amphibians. Okay. So they, they'll go out, they'll collect egg masses in the wild from places like the, the sand hills in, in central North Carolina. They'll bring them back to our facility here where they, they grow the egg masses until the, um, the, 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 the baby frogs or, or, or whatever it is that they're raising grow to, a, grow to a size where they're a little bit more predator-proof mm-hmm. than if they were just tadpoles. And then they're brought back to their, um, the site where they were collected and reintroduced back into the wild. And the goal of that is to... Um, help to bolster those wild populations by by reducing the amount of predation that those individual animals are subject to. What a great story. With some of your native wildlife and um, plant conservation work, are you also encouraging your audience to do some of these things at home, like adding habitat and native plants uh, to their own properties? Yeah, there's a few different things like that that we work on. Um, we, uh, well, you guys will be very familiar with, uh, with, with monarch butterflies, and mm-hmm. we have a focus on um, cre- on, both on having monarch butterfly way stations here uh, around the zoo and then using those way stations to educate people about things that they can do to create their own um, butterfly and pollinator habitat in their backyards or on property they own. Um, and so we'll provide seeds, we'll provide instructions and guidelines and so on um, to help to, to create these little micro habitats for um, not just monarch butterflies, but for, for, for pollinators in general. Um, so, yeah, that's definitely one of the things that we that we emphasize here. Uh, and we've actually learned a lot from you guys in terms of what are, what are some of the best ways to, to do that and how to encourage people to, to kind of take a little bit of action on the behalf of wildlife themselves. 
Oh, that's awesome. I think that pollinator conservation is a great gateway to get people engaged. They can have some fun. They get to see these beautiful flowers. Um, I just spent my lunch break looking at some bee balm plants with bumblebees all over it. It can be good for your mental health, your physical health. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's good for the pollinators. Um, we've been adding tons and tons of native plants to our grounds here around Blank Park Zoo um, and t- trying to turn it into a native uh, wildlife oasis as well. So it's just um, really neat to see some of those synergies between the work that we do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've, I've been really happy with the whole Monarch Way Station and Pollinator Garden program because it, it does all these different things. So it, you know, it provides habitat for those animals, which is, you know, being degraded a- across the whole country. Um, but then it also helps to beautify the zoo grounds. We, we've really focused on putting them in and around our parking lots because, mm-hmm. you know, parking lot is not usually the most exciting part of the zoo visit. But you can actually create these really cool little, um, I don't know, like moments of wonder for people where they step out of their car and then there are all these wildflowers and there's butterflies and, um, you know, all kinds of stuff just right, right there in the parking lot where you wouldn't necessarily expect to have much of a, uh, whatever, a wildlife experience. Um, and then they can also, as you said, be used to educate people about issues with pollinators and, and give people, kind of empower people to, to take action on the behalf of, of animals um, in, a very, in a very simple and straightforward way. I have to tell you, Rich, I just wrote down moments of wonder, and I'm totally going to steal that, and that's going <laughs> to stick, because I love that, whether you're talking about raising your children or, you know, making sure that people have a wonderful day at your, at your zoo. Yeah, and this, I mean, this guy, and, and, and I'm, hopefully it doesn't sound like I'm taking credit for it in, in, with this story, but this really came about for me when I had my own little moment of wonder before the, the pollinator garden program had really taken off here. We just had one, and it was over kind of by our park, by our uh, picnic area and I, I knew that it was there and I'd seen it at some point but I went over there for an event and I, like, I, like I just described I got out of my car and I walked through it in order to, to go to this event and you know there's like cloud of butterflies <laughs> went up and there are all these different interesting um, flowering plants and, and, and other plants there and you know just the, the smell of the different flowers and everything it was really it was really neat so based on that I was like you know we should really these place, these these little spots are really really cool. We should we should be we should have these all over the park. They should be you know a real mechanism to you know to engage people and and to yeah just create this little special um, special experience for people that uh, you know that that isn't t- typically part of the the zoo experience. That's great. It really stops you in your tracks. And you know what? I I could have us talk about pollinators and flowers for the entire podcast. (laughs) But let's move on to some of the international work. Tell us about what you guys are doing in Africa and other places. Yeah, well, so we, uh, kind of our our philosophy at the zoo, and one of the things that maybe differentiates us a little bit from from other zoos, um, is that we, number one, try to focus on species in parts of the world that are represented in our collection. And then number two, engage with projects where where there's some kind of direct staff involvement, where the project can benefit from expertise or experience that our zoo staff have, um, and so that we're kind of, you know, uh, ideally an integral part of the project rather than, um, you know, simply mm-hmm. supporting the project. So uh, th- there's kind of a range of, of species focused and, and then also uh, kind of conservation approach focused projects that we're involved with. Um, in terms of species, our, our, the, the species we focus largely on are um, some of the big charismatic mammals like gorillas, mm-hmm. um, 
large carnivores, so lions, leopards, cheetah, uh, African wild dogs, um, and then elephants and and rhinos. So those are uh, th- those are some of the kind of whatever mm-hmm. most readily recognized animals that that we work on. Because um, when you work over- to save them, you're gonna you're gonna save a lot of other animals that also use their habitat. Sure, yeah, right? yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so that's the idea behind mm-hmm. focusing on those those kind of charismatic megavertebrates is that if you you know if you can save Everything that you need to do to save an elephant will also affect the, uh, you know, the jackals and the antelope and the insects and the birds and, and everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, just you know, the, the the animals like elephants tend to be better better ambassadors for um, for conservation than than the you know the other some of the other animals that have less. Even though you you and I might really like whatever, a honey badger or a <laughs> ground hornbill or whatever else. How they're, did they're you know I loved all those things? <laughs> <laughs> Just a feeling, I guess. Um, but yeah, and so, so one of the things that we do and one of the projects that we've really invested a lot in recently um, is, is an effort to try to counter poaching of wildlife, mm-hmm. um, you know, which, is, which does primarily affect these larger animals, but then also some smaller animals like like pangolins, scaly anteaters that are that are found both in Africa and Asia, um, and you know poaching is is a is a is a really tough problem to address. Um, you know it's been an issue for for a lot of African wildlife for a long time, um, and what we've done is to to join a partnership with. Uh, actually, with some of the largest conservation organizations in the world, um, the World Wildlife Fund, Wildlife Conservation Society, um, Zoological Society of London, among others, and we've all worked together to create. Um, it's a, it, it's a, it's basically software, but it's it's a way that allows national parks and other protected areas around the world to um, collect, analyze, and then act on data in order to make their anti-poaching and law enforcement efforts more effective. Um, So basically, park rangers go out with these uh, rugged handheld computers. They enter in data about uh, what they're seeing. That goes into a database, and then um, the system kind of allows for very sophisticated analysis to be done, but without having to have the input from, you know, like a trained scientist or something like that. It really puts these tools in the hands of people working on the ground in order to understand what's happening in the park, what's happening with um, the patrol effort, what kinds of threats are there, what's the distribution of animals, kind of roll all of that together, and then provide actionable information to the people running these national parks where, where poaching is an issue so that they can get ahead of uh, get ahead of poachers and hopefully prevent poaching um, before it happens rather than reacting to it uh, after after it's happened I'm imagining um, that it's just creating this rich tapestry of data and information that you can use to inform all of these management practices can you give us an example of an impact that this smart technology has had? Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's a number of different places um, where we've um, implemented it in across Africa. Um, I think probably some of the best examples are from Nigeria, where the focus has been on gorillas. Um, in Zambia, where the fo- focus is on large carnivores, and then in Namibia, where the focus is black rhinos. You know, all of which are under significant threat from poaching. Uh, Nigeria is probably is one of the places where we've been working for the longest, and um, in the it's almost. 10 years where we've been applying similar approaches, and then about six years where we've been using the system, which is called SMART, which stands for the Spatial Monitoring and Reporting Tool. Um, and, and in that time, we've seen really significant 
reductions in uh, threats to to wildlife in general and gorillas in particular. Um, We've seen increases in patrol effort, so how much time rangers are spending in the field, how much ground they're covering, and that kind of thing. And then all the data on wildlife populations show either stable or even in some cases slightly increase, increasing um, numbers of animals. So that's, and that's the kind of thing that you want to see in any protected area where you're trying to, trying to reduce threat is you want to see the threats going down, your conservation effort going up, and then wildlife populations staying steady or than ideally even increasing. Um, and that's what we're starting to see elsewhere as well uh, in all the different sites where we've been working um, you know, by virtue of being able to better, number one, understand what's going on, and then number two, um, you know, monitor and adjust strategies um, based on those data uh, you know, to, to, be, to see wildlife populations um, either stabilizing or recovering. Oh, that sounds amazing. And I see Ryan's face lighting up because he is, you know, the, the chief of IT here, too. And all of that technology just sounds wonderful because we've got so many passionate, skilled people that, you know, are both from, from zoos around the country as well as folks that live in these range countries of all of these animals. And by giving them these amazing tools, um, it just, you know, the, the possibilities are endless. And so mm-hmm. it's, it sounds very, very exciting. Yeah, it's really it's really interesting, and and but I think it's worth noting too. I mean, not to not to sort of downplay the role that the the tool that we've helped to develop um, has, but but it really is just a tool. Mm-hmm. So you know, it, it, none of these things, whether it's smart or a drone or any of the kind of new approaches that are being taken in conservation these days, they, they just they they help things to work better, but they don't solve the problems themselves. And ultimately, it comes down to you know, committed people working on the ground on uh, on a day-to-day basis to, to make all this happen. And, and these different tools and approaches just help them to do their jobs better um, and more efficiently and effectively. Um, but, but ultimately, it's all, it's all about, it's not about the technology, it's about the people. Yeah. Can you tell us a story of kind of what, if, what it's like to be on the ground in some of these countries deploying some of this technology? Um, just kind of give us a sense of, of um, how this technology is used and um, the amazing people that you get to work with on the ground. Sure, yeah. I mean, I think one of the, one of the biggest challenges, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of value to, to implementing technologies like SMART um, in, in, you know, parks in Africa or elsewhere. Um, but there's a lot of challenges as well. Uh, you know, you're kind of trying to, you're, you're trying to introduce something that was developed in a North American context or European context and introduce it somewhere where a lot of the infrastructure that you and I take for granted doesn't exist. So mm-hmm. often we'll, when we're doing training people how to, how to use the system, um, there'll be no electricity, there'll be no, you know, meeting room to, ho- to hold the, the training in. Um, there'll be no internet to, to download stuff if we, you know, if something has been forgotten or something needs to be updated or whatever. Uh, so you really have to plan ahead. And often we'll be doing one of these trainings for, for rangers, like in how to do data collection, sort of underneath a thatched roof. And the screen will be <laughs> a bed sheet hanging up and we'll be using a projector that's running off a little portable generator. Um, and it'll be, you know, 95 plus degrees uh, and even hotter than north uh, carolina (laughs) oh yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) usually not as humid but but still hotter than north carolina um and yeah so so there are there are all these things that you know using technology to to 
say wildlife sounds like a great idea, uh, and, and it does offer a lot of advantages. But there's a lot of challenges that you have to overcome as well. I mean, I remember um, when we first started, this is even before SMART had been created, but when we were using a, a similar tool um, about 10 years ago, some of the trainings that we were doing, it, 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 was, it was sort of like forget about doing the data collection training. We have to train people what is a mouse and mm-hmm. what's the difference between a single click and a double click and what is a folder and you know what is a USB port and, and what is a hard drive and, and all this kind of thing. Um, because some of, the, some of the people that we were working with had really very limited experience of, of technology. Um, that's changed a lot uh, in, you know, over the years, the, the advent of smartphones um, and the, the increasing ubiquity of the Internet has really um, changed the context in which we're working a lot. So nowadays mm-hmm. it's rare to, to, to be working with somebody who doesn't have their own smartphone already or um, you know, who isn't familiar with, with how to use computers and stuff. And that's all changed very quickly. That's all changed you know, just in the last... You know, eight years or st- or so, which which isn't very long in terms of in terms of conservation. With your experience and all the different projects that you've worked on throughout the entire globe, what would you say is how would you describe you know the the one the biggest threat to wildlife and wild places right now? You know, I'm I'm probably a little bit biased by virtue of of the the species and the places the species that I work on the places where I work, but I really think that it's that it's poaching and then by extension wildlife trades. Um, Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of places where wildlife habitats are still intact, um, but there's but the number of animals that are there is just way, way lower than it should be. Um, you know, there's places where I have worked in, in West Africa where there are these beautiful rainforests, you know, with trees that are hundreds, year, year, hundreds of years old and, you know, maybe, you know, 40, 50, 60 meters tall, Um but you can walk all day through the forest and not really hear any animals other than birds. Uh, and whereas if that were a healthy, normal situation for those forests, you'd be hearing monkeys and you'd be seeing, you know, Red River hogs and, mm-hmm. and, and bongo and, and um, you know, potentially like even forest elephants and that kind of thing. And, and just they've uh, in a lot of places, especially in West Africa, um, Everything's just kind of been, been 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 hunted out of the forest, and you have these this kind of empty forest syndrome where yeah. uh, the trees are all there and the plants are all there, but but all the animals are gone. Um, and and so I think yeah, I think that like that's at the at the proximate on the proximate side of things, it's it's about poaching and and people going and and, and killing animals for various different reasons. Um, but then that's all being driven by. Uh, you know, well, by two things: by economy and poverty, and people needing something to eat. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also by this enormous uh, international wildlife trade. Um, you know, which is depending on how you measure it, the third or fourth largest interna- international illegal trade in the yeah. world. But you know, behind things like narcotics and arms and human trafficking. Okay. Um, so it's a it's a big big business, and because it, there's a lot of money involved, there's considerable incentive for people to go and poach animals to, to supply this trade. So, yeah, I mean, that's the thing that I think that we've really got to address if we're going to be successful with conservation. And and it's important to address it at kind of every point along, along the supply chain. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we have to reduce the demand in the markets where a lot of these products are going, which is primarily uh, Asia. Um, but we also have to stop poaching at the source because if you're only – 
stopping stuff once it's you know loaded onto a ship or onto a plane or or um, if you're trying to do things like change people's perceptions of, of wildlife products, which is going to take a long time, mm-hmm. um, you're going to you're, you're not going to have enough time to, to to stem the flow of all these things coming out of the forests and the savannas and, and everywhere else, and, uh, and you're going to end up with you know losing a lot of species just mm-hmm. because you don't have the luxury of time to to wait for these other approaches to to be effective. Okay. We've got one minute left, Rich. So with this minute, please tell the folks that are listening to this podcast what you recommend that that um, a family or just anybody from Iowa or North Carolina can do to help save wildlife. Sure. Um, well, I, this will might sound a little self-serving, but <laughs> I think one of the best things that you can do is to visit a zoo that supports the conservation of animals in the wild. And nowadays, that's, that's most zoos, certainly most AZA-accredited zoos. Rich, thank you so much for your dedication and commitment and all the impacts that you and your team have made for wildlife across the world. Um, just really great to talk you today. And what is the website for your zoo and your conservation programs too? nczoo.org slash conservation. You can read all about the, the stuff that we do here in North Carolina and around the world. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Rich. And if you want to learn more about Blank Park Zoo, head over to blankparkzoo.com and check out our social media pages and all our fun videos on YouTube. And uh, we're running out of time, so Catch us next time on Saving Animals with Blank Park Zoo.